Do you love to read but struggle to see print? Bookshare is a nonprofit ebook library that makes reading easier for people with low vision or blindness. Members can read in ways that work for them with ebooks in audio, large print, and digital braille. Get unlimited access to over 1 million titles, including New York Times bestsellers, periodicals, upskilling books, and more. Bookshare is free for New York Public Library patrons or U.S. students with a qualifying disability. For more information, visit bookshare.org today. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Tuesday Topics. I'm your co-host, Brian Charlson, and with me this evening is my co-host, Paul Edwards. Hello, Brian. Paul Edwards, and our person handling the joys of the technical side of things this evening, graduating from um, training school here in this, <laughs> is the lovely Marianne. For, there we go. Marianne, exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. And then in the background there, we have Larry doing the lovely streaming on ACB Media. Hey, Larry. Thank you, Brian. I'm in the background. Yeah, you're doing a fine <laughs> job. <laughs> Thank you very much. I like it when guys are in the back of the back of the theater like that. You know? Yeah, I should have put some echo in there. She projects well. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So this evening we've got two topics we're going to be dealing with. First, we're going to finish up some discussion about site restoration and those kinds of issues, and then we're going to move on to a topic that I'm quite fond of, and that's beauty. Not because I have any, just because I'm fond of it. You understand. So, Paul, when we were talking last week, it was amazing. I was so pleased with how many people were willing to call in and tell us about their story of sight loss and um, the kinds of things they felt about the possibility of getting vision back. Mm -hmm. And what would you say that you would have concluded by that short sample? I think in general, uh that there was there was a good deal of division perhaps more division than i thought there would be and i think there are i think people who had seen quite a lot earlier in their lives were more likely and i and i guess i suspected this would be the case to want to get vision back and i think that totally blind folks were especially if they were um congenitally blind um for the most part weren't jumping up and down, though some were, to get their, their vision back. I was also surprised at, at, at the number of folks who called in um, with the same um, disease as I have. I didn't know there were as many of us out there um, who are who are active on stuff. So I, so I found that interesting. How about yourself, Brian? Well, I, I, my original hypothesis would be that those who have never seen before would be the least likely to want right. vision. Um, I think the important word you were using was vision back versus yeah. vision in the first place. Yes, correct. That, yep. Plus, the vast majority of our callers were older. Yes. So they had lived longer without vision. Uh, those who never had it. Mm -hmm. had lived longer as that. And so their identities were wrapped 
quite a bit around this idea that I'm a blind person. I'm comfortable with my blindness. Uh, you know, so important parts of my life are as a member of the blindness community. Those kinds of things, which again, I think that would have been a prediction I would have would have made. I was fascinated by two things. One is that so much of the, the discussion by those who didn't want vision was concerned that it would be overwhelming yep. mentally. Uh, part of this is through things they had heard in the media in one form or another. Those who had read uh, uh, Michael May's book. Um, and uh, what was the other one? Um, the man who got yeah, the, the, his the, wife with a hat, something like that. Right. Yes. Oliver Sacks. Yep. So, so I thought that was interesting that the, mm -hmm. the concern was that it would become overwhelming to them, uh, as well as this disconnect from the community they had grown up in uh, and appreciated very much. Well, that was interesting. I thought it was also interesting that we got involved in that whole discussion of what would the one thing be that vision would give you? Yep. That would give you some second thoughts. And that was? Well, I'm not driving. sure that. Yeah. Transportation, yep. getting yeah. from point A to point B. No, it was uh, something I was scared to death of. I, again, I'm not, I don't, didn't hear anybody say, I'd love to be able to do the act of driving. It was all about getting from A to B when you wanted to get from A to B mm -hmm. without having to be grateful for it uh, or yep. having to plan well in advance to do things. Mm -hmm. I thought that was an, an interesting side note it in was. the whole discussion. It was, and it's interesting. So we're, we're going to talk about research tonight, but I'm thinking that that I, I'm going to try to make a rule, and I want to see if if at least you'll buy into my rule to start with, Brian. I would like to make a rule that the first people I would like to hear from when we open it up in a minute or two are people who may have been involved in some research or or who have actually considered getting involved in some research, not just people who who are, are abstractly thinking about it. So if you've considered being involved, that means you've actually done something about it. Because so because I would be interested first and foremost hearing from folks who've actually been involved with research who can tell us something about what their experience was right. Does that seem Agreed. fair, Mr. Brian? I, yep. I, I want to give them the first first swing of the bat, so yep. to speak, here. So yeah. when we talk about research, uh, when you and I were first discussing mm -hmm. this topic in anticipation of tonight, we talked about research for, uh, I guess it'd be two things. One is causing you not to lose more vision than you already have lost. Right. There's research associated with that. And probably the most noteworthy recently has been with macular degeneration. Yes. Uh, the latest eye drops and procedures associated with that have been quite successful uh, for many, many people. Now, we yes. haven't seen statistics yet to show that that's dramatically um, changed any demographic out there. But nonetheless, uh, that development of medications uh, are an important aspect of research. Yes. Figure out what the cause is, 
see if there's a way to arrest uh, degenerative disease like macular degeneration. Um, and I can't imagine that any of us regret at all the amount of time and no. energy that's been put into that kind of thing. Right. And and it applies both to wet and dry macular degen too. I mean, there, there have been some developments which have impacted both. So that's exciting. Sure. And then, then there are procedures that have been developed in our lifetime, uh, like vitrectomies, where they, uh, when a diabetic has had a, a, a retinal bleed of one kind or another, that they can remove the clear uh, fluid within the eye that has been clouded by that blood, and mm-hmm. uh, clear fluid is placed in its, in its place. And again, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us would disagree that the research that gave that as a possibility for sight restoration, um, I don't think any of us would disagree with, with that kind of thing either. Nope. Here, we're talking more about, shall we say, experimental things, uh, especially where electronics intersects with biology. Things such as uh, implants of microchips or the installation of a body cam uh, and then wiring that in some fashion to the brain, that kind of thing. Uh, We were talking last week uh, uh, we have an ACB board member, still a board member, isn't he? No. Uh, Alan, Al- no. Alan Peterson, who's rotated he, off the board. Yes, he has. And he had uh, such an implant of an incredibly small microchip that could act as a light um, collector, I guess would mm-hmm. be the right way to put it. And then through a form of micro uh, charge, would send that image along with all the other nerve bundles associated mm-hmm. with the retina on. And he sees flashes of clearer images than he generally sees, but it's not a constant image. Um, and, and, and he is a—he's a person who lost his vision. Somewhat later in life, he actually was a, was a veterinarian. So before he started losing his vision, so exactly. So, so that's the kind of procedures we're talking about. I had a friend um, many many years ago, a guy named Joe Lazaro, not the blind golfer for those who know that name. Wrong number of Z's or R's or something like that. Um, uh, Joe Lazaro was a technology person here, and he actually set up a fund where he was saving money for the purpose of getting um, a experimental system installed inside his skull. The system was a 24 by 24 grid of electrodes that would rest against the surface of the brain between the skull and the brain. And that would wire to a... um, post similar to that used for cochlear implants um, that would also go to a battery pack and these kinds of things so those wouldn't have to be installed in the body 
and they would take a camera image. Again, just a 24. Oops, I think my phone just. You're still, still good. You. We hear you. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so you would just see what you could see with a 24 by 24 pixel image, and it was exclusively black and white. Uh, either that particular electro fired or it didn't fire. And mm -hmm. the brain interpreted that as an input and could turn that into an experience similar to vision. Now, he never did it. He actually um, died as a result of an accident before he was ever able uh, to fulfill his dream. But it was something that he wanted to do. He had vision, uh, though quite limited in his early childhood. Um, but again, he was the kind of guy that was always into science and experimental. Mm -hmm. Nice. Do, do you know anybody like that? I do. I do not. But I. I. I think I've actually. I think I've actually read some stuff that Joe wrote because I think he also wrote some science fiction. Yes, he wrote science fiction and he wrote tech books. And if yep. you read any articles in magazines like Byte Magazine about yep. adaptive tech, that was Joe. Yep. Yeah. Joe. He. He was published in Analog a long time ago. Yes, indeed. Um, yep. Interesting. So, Miss Marianne, do we have any hands? You do not have any hands as yet, Paul. Oh no! Well, this is disheartening. So let's let's give guys a chance to raise hands if you were involved in research. Oh, there you go, Tim Hill. Just one second. Very Tim, good. you may unmute. Hey, Tim. Mr. Hill, yes. are you with us? Yeah, I'm here. Hold on. Just there you are, Tim. Talk okay. to us, Tim. We can hear you. Uh, um, I have, uh, I've been involved with the uh, My Retina Tracker through the National Federation, uh, the Foundation Finding Blindness. Yep. And um, I have uh, had my DNA tested. Yep. And I know that the gene that causes my retinitis pigmentosa is RPGR-ORF15. Uh-huh. And um, uh, I tried to sign up for a clinical trial, but they said my eyesight's too bad. <laughs> but um, I tell you, I would give anything to uh, regain some of my eyesight back. So, Tim, tell us a little bit more uh, about these gene these gene based approaches and and uh, what you had to do to get uh, to get the, the genetic analysis done and that kind of thing. Because well, that's the other area that we didn't really talk about, but it is an important area of research where, again, there's actually been quite a lot of progress made. There are, there are five or six different specific genes that have now been identified, and there are some clinical trials that are going on. So tell us a little more about it, Tim. Well, uh, what you have to do is contact the National, uh, the Foundation Fighting Blindness, and you go to the My Retina Tracker, mm -hmm. and you they send the kit to your ophthalmologist. And, well, you can either do blood tests or spit in one of those cups. And I did both. Mm -hmm. But um, 
yeah, and it came back. It said that uh, my said what the defective or mutated gene was. And six years ago, I remember watching. Uh, I had actually a little bit better eyesight back then. Sixty minutes, and they were talking about you know, in five years, we're going to have this thing called CRISPR. And they're going to be able to cut and paste, you know, take out the old, the bad gene and put in a good gene. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, haven't heard anything more about it. Well, the CRISPR so, is certainly there for what it's worth. It um, is indeed. And, and it is possible to do cut and splicing of genes. And once they identify which gene is the problem, then they certainly can splice into that area one of the things i'm curious about is they determined that you had a particular type and they determined that uh through through this uh dna check were there some types that they were going to be able to do a gene therapy for but other types they would not well actually there's a um there's one gene, it's R65 or something, and the Luxterna has come up with a drug that can uh, improve that uh, the people with uh, the defective gene R65, I think it is. Yeah. There are actually four or five different genes that have been identified that drugs have been developed for. And what it appears to involve is a single injection, um, Brian, um, that 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 then that then in effect changes the gene as it as it manifests in the eye. Exactly, and and when we're talking about these kinds of things, one of the things that affects um, the whole development of these kind of gene therapies is a little thing called the t-cell mm-hmm. right it's all built on this ability to take a t-cell and modify it and then insert it and it replicates uh in place of the cell that was originally yeah, that's there. that's correct and and because of the controversies associated with T cells. Um, you know, we deal with this this whole idea of of um, fetal blood as the source, um, and uh, whether spontaneous or otherwise uh, abortions and the use of umbilical fluid and such things. It's a controversial kind of thing and i know there's a lot of effort been put into coming up with ways to create these t-cells for these kinds of therapies separate of that method in, a, in other words take a and make an artificial t-cell never was uh, uh excuse me. from a human being and yep. use some of that so when one gets involved in gene therapy you know it's not just a matter of well, that's for the scientists to, to decide. There's a lot of other aspects of that. And 
I would imagine to some degree, uh, based on your feelings about the, these kinds of subjects, it might impact your decision to go with it or not go with it. Well, thank you very much, Tim, for calling in. We appreciate it. Uh, I find okay. it interesting that you they figured you lost too much vision to qualify for uh, the process. I think that that's true for many of us for some of the procedures uh, that people are talking about. How long can you have been without sight, without sight before there's concern that your visual cortex is not capable of remapping itself once again? Uh, to take advantage of those processes and and uh, medications, et cetera. Again, yeah. thanks for calling in, Tim. We appreciate it. Okay, and I'd like to. I would give anything to get even part of my eyesight back. I hear you, sir. Yep, I got you. I, I, and I think I think that's going to be more likely down the road because I mean there are two things that have to happen. Um, one of them, one of them is we we have to we have to develop more effective um drugs but but i think the other thing that has to happen is is our society as a whole has to make decisions uh, about the degree to which it is comfortable with genetic manipulation i mean if 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 we were if we were comfortable with genetic manipulation we we could cure all kinds of diseases tomorrow and 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 we are not at that stage yet the only the only real genetic manipulation that's ever been done on uh, be, on on a baby before it's been born resulted in the guy going to prison. That was in China, and exactly. he 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 um, mutated a couple of twins so that they could never be infected with AIDS. Um, exactly, and is in jail now. Even the Chinese just said that it was just over the top over yep. the top this world is not ready for us to bioengineer engineer our children not yet mr tim not thank yet. you sir miss marion do we have anyone yes else? we do jane you may unmute jane i would like to ask a question about things that i may read uh, i read sam king's two books, one called The Violinist's Thumb about genetics and the and the um and the other, the disappearing spoon about the elements of the periodic table, about which I knew nothing until I was able as an adult to go back and explore some areas in science, learning that in high school I was never privy to. They just said, you won't need these. And I said, okay, at the time. But I would love to read more about genetic um, uh, issues and what they are discovering. Um, and I agree with you that we, if our nation is going to do more genetically, they're going to have to be in a very different place. And I don't know that I'm ready to be there about very many things, but I sure would like to be informed enough to think about it better. Anyway, tell me what would be some books to read. There's a surprise. I, I can't give you a good answer. What I've been doing to educate myself lately on these kinds of issues is 
uh, watching videos on YouTube that were done by um, the whole TED Talk process. Yep. Uh, and that has been fascinating because that is leading edge presentations by researchers, um, not so much by big pharma. I have to say I'm a little skeptical these days about big pharma. Yes, we um, should be. Yeah. So, so for me, I would literally Google uh, TED Talks and genetics. Oh. That's where you're going to see the most. Uh, and, you know, one of the things I've been impressed with in those is they readily admit there's a lot yet to be known uh, about these things. When they discover something, uh, because these are the, the scientists in the labs that are doing these talks, that it needs to be replicated multiple times before that discovery or, or therapy or whatever um, is truly there. When I was, I was blinded when I was 11 years old, and for the first three to five years of me being blind, relatives would cut out articles from newspapers mm -hmm. and send them to my parents about <laughs> eye transplants and this and that and the other thing. And I will tell you, my parents got sick and tired of it. Uh, I will tell you, as a blind child and taken to faith healers uh, as a way that uh, some of my well-meaning relatives felt life would be better for me, did me no favors. Did me no favors. Uh, also, I've been a uh, person who's worked in the field of, of uh, blindness all of my adult life. And one of the things I've always believed is for a person to move forward after sight loss, they have to stop investing all of their time and energy into sight restoration yes. and learn to be a functioning human being as they are. It's amazing how much harm that stuff can do, too. I remember when I was four, there was this gypsy fortune teller who... Who, who suddenly determined, um, sort of grabbing my head and holding on to it, that by the time he's 12, he will be able to see again. <laughs> and of course, it was pure BS. Um, but ne nevertheless, when, when I was 12 and nothing happened, I, I was a little disappointed. Well, because I it, remember literally being in a... Do you remember Catherine Kuhlman? Yes. As a... As a person being taken to Catherine Coleman and other similar individuals yep. by my well-meaning aunt. And um, when I didn't get my sight back as a little boy, I thought God didn't love me. Or yeah, I, exactly. I was somehow or other being punished for yeah. this thing. So, yeah. you know, it is, it is, it's scary. a heavy, heavy topic. Uh, you know, like I said last week, I would still like to have my sight back. But and and Miss Jane, the other thing still part of me. You know, the other thing that I would recommend that you take a look at 
<coughs> is um, is material um, that is is actually on the the I Foundation. There are a lot of doctors who've done lectures mm-hmm. on on uh, the, the genetic work that's being done, <coughs> and those lectures are actually on on the the that website. So you can certainly check there. Talk about the foundation. Yes. Uh huh. Miss mm-hmm. Jane, thank you so much for your call. Oh, you are welcome. You are. And thank Paul, you. do yes. you remember the song? There's a story the gypsies say is true. I do. That if you wear those golden earrings, love will come to you. So yep. here's to eyesight and the gypsies. Yeah, and golden earrings. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm ready for the golden earrings now. (laughs) (laughs) Ms. Marion, anybody else? Yes, Nifty Nancy. You may unmute. Hey there. Nifty Nancy, Um, a nickname or what? It's a nickname I gave myself, yeah. (laughs) Works for me. Um, So how how does one find people who are... Uh, trust me, if I had known anybody who could have done experimental research or something, they could have used me as a guinea pig years ago. I just never knew. I just don't know who to contact or who to, how to find out where I can go to find out who would be doing research like that. Now, mine is probably not going to be genetic because I don't have any uh, biological or uh, knowledge of who my biological parents were. and they are pretty sure that my blindness happened after a fever at four months. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be all different than that. But I mean, the electronics, the whatever else you're talking about there, who do I, uh, where do I go to find out well, who's well, doing things so I can contact I, somebody and say, Hey, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you do Google or, or, or Wikipedia research, you know, just right. look up various terms like, um, uh, site restoration using electronics, or um, there is a, a organization. Um, and again, these these things are created and sometimes fade away depending on who got funding and all that kind of stuff. But there is an organization sure. called Rose Restoration of Sight Through Electronics. Oh, Restoration okay. of Sight Through Electronics. Rose. Oh, okay. Um, that's one place to go looking. The other place, quite honestly, is uh, National Eye Institute. Um, you might also do a little research at the um, NSF, National Science Foundation. Right. And, uh, and the National Eye the Institute big... is at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. And these oh, okay. are our funders of research right so Mm -hmm. uh, that is an important avenue the other is think of the major hospitals that are eye related here in massachusetts we have uh massachusetts eye and ear uh and they participate in a lot of trials uh Mm -hmm. dealing with hearing and vision so what state are you from oregon oregon okay yeah. so in I'm oregon, oregon i mean you've got some pretty hefty um 
hospitals in the Portland area that okay. have been involved in some significant research and vision. I'm originally an Oregonian. Oh, could I a, jump in? Could I jump back in for just a moment about that? Please. It's Jane. Um, thank you. The University of Oregon Med School. Uh, exactly. Historically, has had one of the most renowned ophthalmologists, who was Dr. Kenneth Swan. He's certainly no longer alive, but oh, they have yeah. had and have a, a very strong reputation for issues relating to all kinds of eye situations. And Brian, hasn't the Hall Foundation done some work on that too? I think so. I, I, I can't honestly say. Yeah, I but I would, I would, I would. The Hall, the Hall Foundation in Oregon also is extremely interested and concerned with eye um, care exactly. and eye development of stuff. Exactly. It would be a great another place to hook up with. Yep. So okay, we hope that yeah. helps. Yeah, I, I, I hope it does too. Thank you so much. <laughs> Good luck. All right, Miss Nancy. Thanks. Ken Thank Michelkin. Uh, yes. Yes. Hello. Can you hear Hello. me? Hello. Yep. Sure can. Yeah. So, yeah, my name is Ken Mitchell. Um, I'm here in Baltimore and I happen to be a patient at the Johns Hopkins uh, University uh, Hospital, mm -hmm. which is the Wilmer Eye Clinic. Yep. And uh, I, I, my blindness is due to glaucoma. And so I've been asking periodically my eye doctor, who's also a scientist here, uh, about what's the possibility of finding some solutions. And most of the time in the past, he's always said, well, you know, we're, we got a lot of things to figure out and it's going to take time and so on. Well, I went my last appointment, which was a month ago. I asked him again and he gave me a different answer. So he said that, uh, they now he's part of a national consortium that's doing research on on glaucoma and they now have a master plan which they believe will lead the, lead them to solving the problem of uh, the optic nerve in the eye and uh he said they have 16 they've mapped out 16 phases among the group of scientists that are in this consortium and they're working on it and he said right now they're in phase three out of 16 but he was pretty confident very optimistic this time because most of the time i'd never seen him this optimistic uh he was very confident that uh when they hit phase 16 that they will have a solution to the uh, issue which has to do with as you've been talking about genetics and replication of those and uh part of the problems they face is that it's very difficult to get replication to develop into something with the cells from the brain. Other parts of the body, they've been able to do that, but with the brain cells, they've not, uh, as of yet anyway, come through with that. But anyway, I, I throw that out. Mr. Thank Mitchell, you thank much. you. Excellent. Excellent. No hands, very good. Paul. All no right. hands at this point. So... so Let's wind this down relatively quickly and get to our other topic, Mr. Brian. But go ahead. So, so generally speaking, um, the the issues here are nerve regeneration, something that not only are those who uh, have things like um, diabetic retinopathy, et cetera, et cetera, who you know the cure 
or the solution to the problem requires an optic nerve regeneration of some kind. Uh, it's not just blind people. Think of anybody with paralyzed in any fashion. It's all a matter of we need to be able to medically generate new nerve connections. Uh, and a lot of time and energy is being put into that. When I was originally blinded in a, a household chemical explosion, one eye was, its cause of blindness is retinal detachment. Mm -hmm. But there's not a matter of retinal reattachment when the optic nerve is compromised. Yep. Um, and the other thing I'd like to suggest to people is when, when I was uh, in my 20s and lost the balance of my vision, I said to myself, even with science advancing the way it is, um, I expect that I will never see again, and I moved on. And like I said earlier, I've advised people who were spending what I thought was way too much of their time thinking about getting their sight back while putting their lives on hold, um, that they needed to accept their blindness, but keep an eye out um, about what the future holds. Uh, and when I was 60, I came to the conclusion that if I'm going to live till I'm 90, there's a possibility that I'm going to get some vision in some fashion uh, before I start pushing up daisies. So I don't want to discourage people from concerning themselves or monitoring the science of sight restoration. But I do hope that this kind of discussion will allow you to feel okay in your current skin and get on with your life as it is while waiting for those other things to occur. And the one thing that I would add to what Brian said about research is probably in the last, I would even say, five years, we, we have made huge progress in all three of the areas that we've talked about. That is, there, there have been electronic experiments that, that, while the results seem pretty paltry to me and not something that I would be interested in participating in, there are an awful lot of people who, who have used those experiments as, as signs of hope. And in areas of, of gen genetic identification of issues with regard to um, congenital eye disease, there, there have been tremendous amounts of progress made. And, and in the case of um, later onset um, macular degeneration, there's been huge progress made. I, I don't, I don't know that we're probably going to get to uh, a change in any of the national statistics because people are living longer, which means that later in life, they're still more likely to go blind than they are not to. Um, but, I think, but I think the differences and, and the degree to which people will lose all of their vision is probably going to be significantly lessened over over the next few years and that's really amazingly good news yep so i'm excited so that takes us to our next topic um and we're going to talk for a little while but we're going to open it up pretty soon and and for this one 
virtually anybody can 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 talk on the subject. The question is, or or at least the question that we that we tried to uh, put out for this week is if according to the old saying beauty is in the eye of of the beholder what happens uh, if you have no eyes and therefore can't see beauty do you define it in a different way or do you still define it in the same way and expect that people um, uh, will provide you with information so you can make decisions that perhaps you don't even have the right to if you've never seen based on the prejudices that that your particular community has? Or um, do you operate in an entirely different way um, and, and regard how people look as entirely irrelevant to you and make decisions about who to get into relationships with based on entirely different things? So those are the kinds of questions. You want to add a couple of, of issues to the mix before we open it up, Brian? Well, while I'm perfectly happy starting out in the subject of beauty as a matter of uh, human beauty, mm -hmm. um, I would like to reserve some time to talk about other aspects of that word. Uh, as, as, in, as in paintings and nature. As in artwork, as in nature. nature. Yep. Um, those kinds of things. We're talking about the visual concept of beauty in both cases. We, so we Paul, are. Paul, yes. Uh, as you were growing up, you lived in the Caribbean, and you lived up in Canada, and you now live in Florida. Um, and so you've been associated with, I, I'll, my Canadian friends, I mean this uh, with all uh, due respect and, and love of you, but we all don't agree on the definition of classical beauty in every culture. In the Caribbean, um, I'm sure that there are certain things that uh, a, a native to the islands in the Caribbean would consider beauty that wouldn't fit the same thing in Vogue magazine. So, Paul, define beauty. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I would dare to, uh, uh, because I really think it is very much an individual decision. I, I think, though, that that perhaps I can I, I, I can at least give you some notion of the of, of the way that it can impact a person who's blind by, by relating an experience I had when I was in high school. There was this, there was this really attractive girl who had a great voice and, and, and who always wore really cool perfume and who was very smart. Um, she and I used to, um, used to fight over who was going to be top of the class with one other guy, but it was always the three of us who were kind of at the top of the class. Um, and so I thought, well, what the heck? Um, let, let me ask her if, if, um, if, if we can go to a movie. So I did. And she sort of looked at me and she said, are you kidding me? Do you think that I can afford to go out with you? It's not that I don't like you. 
but I mean, it would absolutely ruin my reputation in this school if I was to be seen going out with the blind guy. So forget it. I'm not going out with you. And the, 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 the decision that I made was then to ask some other people in the class, so who's the ugliest girl in this class? <laughs> and um, the, it, it happened that, that, that she was also um, a Seventh-day Adventist person and mm-hmm. didn't much go out anyway. So when, whenever there were parties, um, because she would generally come to the parties, but she couldn't dance and she wasn't allowed to do anything. So we would hang out together and I was perfectly content and, and was never bothered by the fact that she was labeled as ugly, but certainly was impacted by the degree to which I was told that with regard to the first person who I'd asked out, I had reached far beyond where it was appropriate for me to go. So the, hmm. there's, a, there's another side to this, though. Uh, Miss Marion, did you have experiences that, that, that might be relevant to this? Or? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I have a few things I'd like to say, if that's okay. Of course it um, is. You, you know, um, I, I, I never had good experiences with um, image, um, yep. physical image. I, I, I didn't have people who held up a very flattering mirror for most of my life. And, mm-hmm. and this, is what, this is what I say. It's for a, a blind person, and I I'm, guess I'm speaking from a woman's point of view, but um, we really do have to be careful who holds up the mirror and tells us what our attributes are. And mm-hmm. we really have to find um, some peace within ourselves as to, you know, who we are and what we look like and and find some kind of, again, find some kind of peace with that. Because I know that it, it truly did damage a, a good part of my adult life by believing um, what family might have said. Um, yep. And then being told that I should believe my family and I shouldn't believe friends who were supportive. So I think we really have to be careful as blind people not to let that happen. Um, but um, for me, um, I'm like you, Paul. For me, a guy um, should smell really good and have a mm-hmm. great voice. And and I don't really, not much else really matters. I kind of like a tall guy, I'll, I'll be honest, <laughs> you know, but, but really... Um, um and and the only experience i had really negative experience similar to yours was i was walking down the hall one day in school and in high school and um mm-hmm. i didn't use a cane and i i was i didn't use a cane until i was really out of out of my hometown and so there were these two guys walking behind me and one of them i heard say well she's really cute and and the other one said, yeah, but you know, she's blind. So I turned around and I said, yeah, but she's not deaf. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that thing. You know, I wanted to go on my Washington, my school trip. We went to Washington, D.C. And um, none of my girlfriends were going and I wasn't going to go. And a guy said, well, you know, you could go hang out with us, but you don't have to hold on to our arm or anything, do you? So, yeah, there was uh-huh. a lot of that blind. I never got yep. asked on on a date by a sighted guy in school. Yep. Um, you know. So, but I just say to every to any blind person, be careful what you listen to and and who yeah. you let tell you about yourself. And I think it's really important, Brian. Uh, you know, add when a I bit, when then I we'll first, open it up. When I first suggested this topic, I never thought about body image, mine. You know, beauty as yeah. associated with me. Am yeah. I handsome or not so handsome? 
you know, that kind of kind of thing. It never crossed my mind to think in in those terms. I agree entirely that it's very important for uh, a person to have trust in a person who can be honest about your appearance because you might not realize that you're holding your body in such a way that you look timid or that you um in some other body language way uh you look inappropriate compared to the cited norm for such things and remember when we're talking about self-image we're talking about how others see us um so they're seeing people that are uh the most most of the people we know are seeing people so it does matter to some degree i had a young lady in one of my classes who showed up at class when i told the students they all had to come dressed appropriate for an office environment and she showed up wearing a tank top short shorts Mm. um what do they call those uh fishnet stockings and five inch high heels now (laughs) clearly be appropriate in a particular sort of office office? (laughs) exactly exactly so i I, and i being a male i couldn't i was told this is what she looked like by uh, sighted colleagues but there's no way i could approach a young lady and tell her your dress is inappropriate so i had somebody else an older lady speak to her about this and she says well i can wear what i want to wear because i think this is appropriate i said so the problem is that she was chronically unemployed so some of the decisions she was making including what what would she wear to an interview for a job that's that's just scary you need to some degree accept the idea that you would benefit from an honest, sighted mirror. Somebody who could describe what you look like, not in terms of, um, oh, maybe anything that would be off-putting that you don't realize you do, or that that haircut isn't particularly attractive, or your choice of clothing is age inappropriate you know any of those things yeah. the damage uh, comes valuable the damage comes when people assign um attributes to us because that's what's acceptable like weight and um you know things like that that are so damaging to um to women who us in particular because we're the ones who really suffer from that like you know when when the society sign assigns stuff to us i mean that's what my mom did you know you're just you know you're you're too fat to be a singer or you know things like that that can go with you for the rest of your life so i just oh, say i'll say what del Maha- del al muhammad said be careful who you let in your audience it was one of her keynote speeches and i never forgot it mm-hmm Excellent, excellent. You know, one other thing that people should know is at the ACB convention this year, there was a gentleman who is uh, an audio describer, and he was offering 
to describe people to themselves. So he was taking photographs of individuals throughout the convention at their request. They come to him, he takes their picture, and then he writes a description for them so that when they post <coughs> in social media their picture or any other reason, um, they would have a description that uh, was impartial and correct. Now, he wasn't making a judgment. It's a handsome individual or a lovely young lady. You know, it was uh, a woman, uh, you know, a, uh, a light-complected woman wearing her hair to her shoulders, hair colors brown, eyes are blue, um, uh, with uh, wearing ear, you know, whatever. So he does that kind of description. And I think that's a valuable, a valuable yeah, service. Yeah, that's very really gent. That's very good and gentle description. Exactly. But, but, exactly. but to to take another example, though, um, <laughs> and and perhaps one that Marianne can can um, can can get with, so many of the descriptions that are used of people that that define actions are incomprehensible to those of us who've never seen like um she she uh, pouted or raised her eyebrows yeah or winked or yeah 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 i mean what 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 do those things mean and how do they impact the degree to which we fail to give signals that 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 are part of the way that folks would define others you know so to to what extent do we miss out because because we we don't give the signals that people who are sighted expect to see i always said that for me um so uh, you know we the the sighted couple gets to you know look across the room at each other right mm -hmm. that for me it's come up to me touch my hand touch my mm -hmm. shoulder you know yep. I, how much can you feel in a touch, Paul? Oh, an immense amount. Exactly. So to yep. me, that's the you know the 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 you know the looking across the room, the and, eyes, and the... And, it, and it's not lean on my shoulder. No, no, it's, no. It's, it's just it's, that touch. It, it's a just gentle. A it's a mm -hmm. gentle touch. And in fact, if it's not a gentle touch, go away. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you yeah. think you do the two of you feel that sighted people are prejudice uh, as a result of what they see i think they miss a lot brian i yeah. i you know that's how i feel but you know i've been blind sure. in my life right so i just think they miss a lot and, and i would agree with that now yeah. i would inverse this do you think that we put more importance on some things that shouldn't be so important like as what? blind people like what? For example, um, you say you like a nice voice. So there are people who uh, perhaps don't have the nicest voice in the world. You know, they're not going to be on radio. Just like they say, you know, you have a face that would be great on radio, right? About <laughs> television people, right? Sometimes people have a voice that is off putting. Yeah, that's a and good point. I readily admit that. Uh, I love a French accent. 
right? I'm biased in, fr- in favor of some um, accents like that and bias against others. Bias against others. And I acknowledge that in myself and have to kind of uh, fight it a bit. Um, is, is that part of my definition of beauty? Sure it is. Um, and, and, and is that one of the things that I'm going to take into account in terms of long-term relationships? I'm afraid it is. It may not, it may not be right. It, it, it may be awful. And, and it's, but it's, it's not just that. I mean, I, I have said to myself all through my life, and I suspect there are a lot of blind people who have that, that we're more discerning about the relationships that we form because we don't make we, we don't make a decision immediately that we meet someone based on how they look. We give them a little more time than that, unless they're obviously obnoxious. And how it's the same thing with a voice. You could get yeah, past sure. it if you if what they were saying and I you know don't think so. Yeah, no, maybe not. All right. Maybe I not. Don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I, all right, Paul. All right, you're right. Listening to the two yeah. of you. Listening to the two of you. <laughs> our our listening audience is saying they've got no problem with their voice. Paul sounds handsome and yeah. and oh, you want to talk a lovely voice. How about this lady? You know? Yeah. So, you're sweet. That, well, I, I wish it was my prejudice here but it isn't it's there are some voice types out there sometimes it's how uh, articulate somebody is sometimes sure it is whether the sound of the voice is more nasal or higher pitched or the way somebody laughs god oh friday if you want oh, to turn me off right uh, there mm-hmm. are some people whose laugh i since I, I admire people that have good senses of humor, I couldn't live with that laugh. They, they went with that sense of humor. I'm it, sure Paul would agree, be. though, that it's not just the voice. It's what comes no. out of their mouth, too. It is. You know, what of they're saying. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and it, so well, do we, yeah. we, do have, we have people who would like we to do. discuss their idea of I beauty? I bet we do. Melody has her hand up. You can unmute Melody. Hey, Miss Melody. I believe I am. I just had to mute because you my are. 12 and a half year old Heinz 57 small bridge there to speak up. We can um, hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, I was waiting for this one all week and I was hoping we could get to it last week. I I totally have the voice bias and now that the hearing and so many other things are affected, yep. it's kind of, it's painful. And the, the whole discussion is at the same time as trying to keep myself from, from bursting into laughter with the whole, it's, it's, it's painful for me because I've lived with two people that I can't escape who, you know, I've had to grow up with this family of origin that body image is everything and, and being appropriate mm-hmm. and not making yep. a scene and just feeling like mm-hmm. this embarrassment. I even told my mom yesterday, I feel like you're embarrassment when I go with you, even all these years and you start to believe that. But it's the, the feel of, you know, long hair or just touching skin or hearing that baby cry, the new and, and wondering who they're going to be and just a new life or a, a flower just running your hand down it or smell or a piece of velvet yep. or soap. I've always been obsessed nice. with those type things and it's beautiful. And mm-hmm. just the things that you're, you know, that you, you get to do every day and even things that have happened, getting to use this multitude of ever growing list of conditions to actually save a life. I yep. find that beautiful. And it is. to 
to have kind of linked the topic before to have been able to teach the veteran that I did Braille and just spend some time with him on basic independent living skills when I myself was in mid-20s mm-hmm. and he is late 60s when a self-inflicted bullet severed his optic nerve and he was so desperate to get that sight back. I said, John, I wouldn't have known you. You know, and I'm sorry, I can't help you when you describe that your sight's getting darker. I don't know, but I wouldn't have known you. And I found that beautiful when I got to get sick enough to do it. And it's yep. just, you know, the, the the positivity in it. And I still live with two people. I mean, I had my Monica described to me as this old, decrepit 59-year-old who looked like she was in her 80s. She was one of the most phenomenal people ever and actually saved some lives herself. And yep. I just, to be able to get away from it now, have people tell me, and I feel like I'm I'm not appreciating appreciation, but I'll have people say, you look so beautiful or what you wrote is beautiful or look at that long hair that you're getting long enough to donate for a fifth time. You know, can I play with it? And it's just, I feel like I'm not because I, the majority of the time it's this isolation with people Mm -hmm. that just don't have priorities in order. And because vision is a dominant sense and to read a book that, that had that listed, it, it makes sense because people automatically turn to it. And if we don't have that option, we're going to give people a chance. And by the way, my voice didn't used to sound like this. My respiratory system's big squish. Well, I, I think your voice sounds sounds pretty cool now, Miss Melody. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I've, yeah. got, I've got no no objections whatsoever. Thank you for calling in and being a regular on the, on this program. It's important to, to us to have repeat customers, so to speak. So we want to be talking about things that you're interested in, not just things we're interested in. Yep. So if you have ideas, by all means, send us a note, Miss Melody. Please do. Miss Marianne. Ethel has her hand raised. Mm-hmm. You may unmute, Ethel. Okay. How about that? Yeah, gotcha. There you go. Great, great. All right. Well, this one, this topic spoke to me um, because I was um, legally blind growing up, um, you know, uh, most of my, uh, you know, from childhood on up to adult. And um, so, and I never had the vision, enough vision to actually see details like eye color or teeth or, um, you know, the details, even hair color. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But because I was, you know, but I was passing a sighted and I had enough sight to pass, but certainly not enough to. So I, I was okay with that. Um, but I could also, but I was also aware that a lot of my friends, girlfriends, oh my gosh, and the guys, my guy friends, really ruled by this whole um, attraction that by vision, vision was mm-hmm. huge. Oh, looks, looks, looks. It was all, kind of knew that, Um you know, had suspected that and had seen, you know, um, had experienced, you know, later as a young adult, how a perfectly normal guy, um, you know, a lot of times it was the guys, but girls too, could totally turn into alien idiots, you know, over the, you know, their behavior because of, again, ruled, I'm talking ruled by their vision. So I kind of felt kind of forever, like, yay. Um, that I got like some sort of, a, it, it's like I was inoculated. That never happened. I mean, yep. I got a lot of the, you know, the, the, the feedback, you know, so yeah, it was all swirling around me. Oh, um, you know, so. Now, you know, were you able, 
were you able to get dates if you wanted them to settle? Definitely, definitely. Because um, excellent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, but it was through. You know, I didn't think it was. I, I was still a little puzzled because, like, on a date, I could. It'd be like, you know, wow, you look so hot. You could be a bitch, and I'm like, excuse me, what? No, <laughs> you out with and where did you get that message? Because under no circumstances is anyone to behave like that to you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But so again, that whole and just walk away shaking my head like, what, what? Um, but then, um, but then I'm at the university, get there, um, and I'm in a human physiology class. Uh huh. Um, is crazy hard but oh my gosh the professor i'm sitting about the middle because i i couldn't see the board to save my life um Mm -hmm. in front or in back so i just kind of i had my recorder going very very discreet again Mm -hmm. um and um and i would just ask the professors always to go and and borrow their their notes uh so i could photocopy them and then take my magnifier at home and then just see all, all the, if there was visual stuff, uh, figures mm-hmm. things I needed. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, this particular professor, I could tell by hearing him filling up three chalkboards on three sides of the room with these incredible, and he, he could just go on and on. And all of a sudden, I, for the first time, Felt what had to be this instantaneous attraction. Mm-hmm. I had never had that before, ever, you know, because yep. I didn't have the vision for that. And certainly mm-hmm. nothing to make me go do something foolish or anything, lose my mind. And all of a sudden, here it was. This professor was so insanely intelligent. Mm-hmm. He knew his stuff. He was filling up. Um, mm-hmm. And I couldn't get enough of it. I'd get all warmed. I would get tingly. Um, all of a sudden, my mind is going, imagine what pillow talk would be like with this guy. <laughs> I my mind was going there. And I find myself going after class because he's, well, some of, a lot of you are failing and I'm a little concerned. So we're putting together some study groups. I zoom right up. Spend <laughs> more time with him. He gets to me, you know, I'm in line and he gets to me. He's a little surprised. He goes, oh, I'm a little surprised. You're one of the few people who are uh, actually acing my class. Um, <laughs> so don't think you need it, but we'd certainly welcome you because maybe you could, you know, maybe um, tell the other students, how, maybe, what are you doing? What do you do? Do you take notes? You, you know, what do you, how are you doing your notes? And I'm just like, because I'm drooling because everything <laughs> day. And then I'm also thinking too, oh my gosh, these studies are, study groups are in the evening. I'm a single parent. I both work and go to school. At what point, what hour do I not have scheduled for eating, sleeping, working, <laughs> taking care of my children? Oh, right. what am I thinking? I'm like, idiot. I'm walking away, shaking my head. Okay. You can't do this, and I can't believe you're willing to, just, you know, <laughs> be around him. And then I'm walking away and going, "This must be what it feels like to be that <laughs> to get that kind of visual, you know, you know and acting like such an idiot." Um, 
I was like, wow, it was kind of cool. And then later on, I thought about it because I'm thinking, you know, I'm pondering these things of attraction. What constitutes attraction? And Mm -hmm. I learned a little bit about myself and I said, you know what? I guess it's for me, it's going to be intelligence. Um, And, um, you know, because he he had a regular voice, whatever. And I mean, and I had found myself telling my, you know, just, wow, isn't he incredible to my a couple of my classmates. And they, I could tell by their astounded voice, they're like, "Oh my Wait God, Professor, what's his name? He's up there." And she's like, "Oh my gosh, he wears little shorts practically mm-hmm. to his ankles, <laughs> He's got, and he wears t-shirts that only he understands what they say." <laughs> and he's a little chunky, and he's, "Oh my gosh!" They're like, "Are you, are you talking about the same for that guy right up there?" And I'm like. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm floating. Isn't he incredible? And they're like, wow. Um, at that point, they might have thought I kind of suspected might be something wrong with her eyes or whatever. But <laughs> no, um, no, it's it's kind of cool. I think we are um we are uh so did you feel superior to all those sighted sighted? You know kids what? Who- I felt blessed. Yeah. I really did because I saw over the years how um, they made these decisions based on um, that even I could tell just by had they stopped to listen to a little bit of what the, you know, that hot guy, that guy, that incredible and put in all of their, they went on and on and in, but sometimes I was like, Oh, it doesn't have, you know, or he's actually kind of mean, you know, or mm-hmm. he's hitting on me as your, you know, how do you do it? And you, I'm like, did you not see that? Actually, I think he's kind mm-hmm. of very unattractive, very, very, don't see it, you know, that kind of, yeah, I don't see it. And they're like, excellent. Miss Sessel, thank, thank you, you so for much the story. for your call. Very much appreciated. Very much. Absolutely. Take care, my friend. You currently yep. have no other hands. Oh, how so interesting. I'm going to I'm going to ask yeah, so a couple too. of questions here. One is um, one of the things that sight can do for you when you look at another human being is see whether they are well tempted. Uh, and that uh, you know that's part of quote, being attractive, you know, if it's like this professor wearing shorts down to his ankles and uh, T-shirts that he could appreciate and and such whatnot, right? So when you heard the word professor, what did you have as a visual image? Or did you? I don't don't know that I had a visual image. I I, I think I had expectations, uh, perhaps even more expectations uh, about professors than I would have had um, if, if, if it hadn't been for, for, for where I lived. I mean, in, in the Caribbean, if, I, if, if, you were, if you were a teacher, you generally were wearing a tie. You didn't necessarily have to wear a jacket, but you were wearing a tie. Exactly. And, um, and in, so you in, have this, this image in your head of a, well, 
I'm not sure I assume that all professors are well kept, but, yeah. but um, especially, you know, as a child of the 60s. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it, it carries with it a image. Uh, you wouldn't expect a number of things associated with that. It doesn't mean it doesn't occur, but on average, not. Uh, so I one thing about attractive, I feel, is that you appear to take good, good care of yourself. That's part of the kind of person I want to associate with. Somebody I, yeah, who takes good but, care of but, themselves. But how do, you, how do you judge it as a blind person right away? Well, you, I, I think you can't. I think you yeah. cannot. Um, you, it, it, we have to invest more time in a person. Yeah, I think that's probably right. To get some things as part of it. You said you like it if a girl's wearing uh, a nice perfume. Yeah, I do. That's good. And and uh, you know, that, well, that uh, cologne uh, uh, that uh, makes part of the image. Yeah, a nice a, a nice perfume, but but not too much of it. I mean, I find there are a lot of yes. people who just overpower you with perfume. I mean, they take over a room. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and and I don't find that at all attractive either. Uh, it almost feels as if they're trying to cover something up. Uh, so not, not not too fond of that. Um, one of my all of my girlfriends in high school were sighted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I started dating my future wife Kim that I uh, even dated a blind lady. But my uh, first fiance, Daddy convinced her not to go on with it because uh, a blind man wouldn't be able to keep her in the manner to which she should grow accustomed. But anyway, mm -hmm. she had terrible eczema. Her hands were almost alligator skin. Right. And she worked on it all the time. So for me, as a blind person, uh, you would think that that would be off-putting, but I knew her quite well before. Uh, so that never became an issue. So I, you can get past the base biases and, when it yeah, comes nice. to... What's and attractive. I suspect blind people would probably be more accepting of something like eczema than a, than a sighted person might be. Although, again, you know, you, you hold hands, and that's the least attractive yeah. part of who that person is. Sure, but there's a, there's a kinship of disability as well. Uh, and I, I, I don't think I ever felt that. But anyway, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the other aspect of beauty since we don't have people waiting. You in do. The you do. You have two hands. Oh, we do. Now. Yep. We got two uh, hands. Let's go for it. Uh, you have um, Albert. You may unmute. Hey, Albert. Hey, Albert. Very good. Okay. Now I'm, I'm, I'm now audible, correct? You are, Mr. Anderson. Very sure. good. Thank you. Uh, the, the the experience I had was I went to a school for the blind all the way uh, through high school and everything. And as I look back now uh, from the perspective of the years, it uh, surprises me. It, it, it strikes me how blind boys, e even blind boys, seem to be able to tell which girls are attractive. 
Um, if I can give an example, I'll, I'll call this girl Joanne. I remember conversations in the boys' dorm. Who do you think Joanne likes? You see, are you following <laughs> me? Yeah. Yep. Yet, if you would have asked five different ones of us, describe Joanne. Tell tell me what Joanne looks like. You and I gotten five different answers. Now, did you guys in blind school ask the the partially sighted kids what the what the girls look like? Um, in in informal conversation, yeah, uh, it it might have been mentioned. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. the, you 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 brought up something good uh, then. And, it, it's all, it's also uh, in my memory that um, girls who had some sight seemed more attracted to guys who had some sight. Yeah, I think there's probably some truth in that, Albert. Yep. yep. Um, but you didn't have any trouble getting dates in high school, I bet. I did. Actually, um, I, I did. I did have dates. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. so when it comes to things having uh, gone through school in the blindness system, uh, and so you had classmates who were blind, who were both uh, male and female, mm-hmm. uh, what, what would you say you, culturally speaking, uh, thought was attractive? Uh, A I voice? Mean- Oh, yes, certainly. Um, Number one is a, a, a voice, right? Yes. Uh, how, what would I say? Personality mm-hmm. is, is another thing. Um, but I, the, the whole social uh, structure and interaction of everything was different. I remember going from high school to college and being uh, quite uneasy because I hadn't had the normal uh, socialization right. of high school where, where you get in your car Friday night and drive to the football game. Yep. You know. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, when... How do I put it? What attracted me to my wife was, one, she has a damn sexy voice, in my opinion. She does. Yes. Two, she had beautiful long hair. And she still does. Nice. Um, three, um, she could speak on almost any subject and sound intelligent mm-hmm. about it. Because, you know, talking and listening is, is something I like to do. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, she was popular. Mm. And, you know, she also has Popular a pretty people. cool laugh, too. Well, well, there is that. I can always pick her out in a crowd. Exactly. When I hear that laugh, I know that's, that's <laughs> my gym over there. But, but again, you know, there were some aspects which were physical, some which were social, um, and others which were the intangibles. And probably the intangibles are what... Yep. What eventually tips the scale one one direction or the other. Albert, thanks for calling. We appreciate you being here this evening. You're very welcome. Glad Take to do care, it. my friend. You too. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I hear we Mel- have another hand. Melody has her hand up again. 
Hello, Melody. You have something to add? Okay. There's no one else. I noticed that, and I did the opposite thing. I was in public school until seventh grade and then made a decision to go to the Ohio State School for the Blind. So it's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people do that I hear of. And I noticed that Which not only did we have to... Ohio State. Yeah. Yes. Ohio. Okay, yeah. go on. Generic game. <laughs> um, yeah. Graduated there as the valedictorian in 2004 and just not, you know. Um, but I, I noticed that not only just the whole discussion of unkempt and what that means for people and how sighted people focus on it, we had to not only live by what our families were telling us, but what TVIs, what O&M instructors, what independent living training centers, you know, if we did that as adults, what we were told was beautiful. And it seemed that we were, it was focused on having our hair done right and having our shirts on, you know, the right side out and getting the right pan out. And if we didn't, it was a crime. And, you know, if you get that at home and we didn't get a lot of time to display the beauty and express it to each other and each other and help each other through, because no matter what sighted TVI, just like anything, no matter what, you know, person will study a condition or disability and make a legal decision for you. They don't truly understand it firsthand. They don't have to use the apps. They don't have to cross the street as we do. They don't have to live as we do. So it's when we had to grow up assuming that beauty was one thing and kind of get hit as adults and still try to figure that out. You know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a shock to the system. And as far as the psoriasis thing, my mom didn't think of herself as beautiful. So she didn't know how to help me think of myself as right. it, it's she would always tell me you know that i was the best and everything i knew that she she mm. truly loves me but it was just when i behaved now as an adult in my late 30s i'm not getting mm -hmm. that and she has had it she's had psoriasis since i was three so her hands it was localized and they were flaky but i love her hands and i use mm. that um she's just now started a treatment that's really helpful in the last year or so and she had to grow up with her hands bleeding and you know i would try to take care of her and i couldn't stand it now my Monica had it too, and it was all over our body. And I find that body care, caring for someone, which is the field I want to go right. into with a passion, yep. beautiful, and it was everywhere. And just the fact that I could do it for her and kindness, and it all relates to it. I love to look up the unsung heroes and PR series mm -hmm. of or, um, what kind things people do for one another, mm -hmm. or just saying something right. and how much that can make a difference. And just the fact that I slip a little boy on the corner who doesn't have much direction. I think he's traumatized the five once in a while. I won't accept anything in return. I'll get it, you know, spat on by my family. And it's just, he's not going to be another male stat with the police. He's not going to be. Yeah. So that just, every aspect of beauty that we see is not often what the sighted world will give us. And it's so hard to fight that when you're so coded to believe what you grew up with. So, so let's let's get a little bit into Brian's stuff, uh, Melody, and we're going to ask Marianne right after this too. Do you find yourself interested in art, and if so, what kind and why? You're asking Melody, right? Yeah, yeah. You still here? Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were asking Brian. Could you repeat no. it? Asking you. Okay. Mm -hmm. What what was the question about art? Are, are you interested in art and, and, and what kind and why? I am. I, I am. I actually had a potter's wheel when I was little. I have, um, mm. I'm interested in sculpting clay, gluing feathers and cotton balls to paper, the feel of wax, um, crayons mm -hmm. on paper, stencils and tracing. I love anything tactile, beads, um, mm -hmm. macaroni and mm. crushed eggshells, things like that. Mm -hmm. I, um, I had had a, a drawing i actually sold four 
Um, and I didn't know what I was doing at a, a clubhouse model for people with mental health conditions who seek employment and socialization. I sold four of them and one hangs on our wall. And I have a fifth one that a, um, a lady who has some severe conditions also that I do had me um, take a, a marker and trace down a ruler and kind of pivot it so it would look like rays of sun. And I, it's, I think it's still, but I don't know. It was probably over a decade ago at the Franklin County Alcohol, Drug, and Mental Health Board. Hmm. And I, I, I didn't know what I did, but it's, I do enjoy doing it now that my hands are, there are four conditions that are affecting them, plus neurological things. It, it's tough for me. But I found that art and music therapy and, you know, animals, that those yeah. three things at the same time, it's mm-hmm. self-expression when you're offline and your brokers are affecting you in flashbacks. You know, you can't mm-hmm. speak, but you can express in that way what's going on with you a lot of times. Ms. Melody, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Ms. Marianne, Art? There you are. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Um, I like art. Um, I'm not a big fan of visual art because I, I think it really loses a lot of translation in the description. I just, I don't, you know, never having had vision, um, descriptions are almost meaningless. Um, but I do like tactile art. My daughter does some pottery, um, which I, you know, and she always makes sure to, to put little, um, raised decoration, um, into her um, mm-hmm. art when she does it for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I like um, jewelry art, you know, people who, who are artists who create jewelry. So I do like art, but it um, tactile art. Yeah, I, I'm sort of the same as Marianne, Brian. I, I, um, I, I loved going to places like New Zealand and um, collecting uh, Maori stone carvings and uh, Maori masks, mm-hmm. and um, when I when I left my teaching job in Trinidad, um, my staff gave me a sculpture, which is which is a very minimalist face um, made mm-hmm. of wood, mm-hmm. um, and it's about oh eighteen inches, twenty inches tall, and and uh, it it's it's very much got a pride of place and and gail and i used to do a lot of tactile wall paintings um you know um fruit uh, that are that were carved out of wood and um a, mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the copper paintings that that are tactile and um and and that kind of stuff so uh, so art was very important and did i have paintings hanging in in my house sure um we would we would get paintings described and and we probably relied on on to some degree uh on other people's judgments as to whether these seemed like paintings that we'd like i had a a, a couple of paintings of sailboats in my office at work um but i've i have actually tried to read two or three different books um the latest of which is actually a children's book on the history of art written by a guy um, who is Polish and, and who ended up um, writing this book in the 40s in England. Um, but it, th- the truth is, while I understand the concepts and the way that paintings change and the way that art has changed, it really doesn't have very much emotional impact for me. Um, 
Whereas, and I'll, and I'll talk about this because it was significant for me. I remember being at a convention with Brian and we were at a table where there were a bunch of tactile figures um, in two dimensions of animals. And um, I saw these tactile figures, but Brian said, oh, that's a buffalo and that's a mouse and that's a this, that's a that. <laughs> and then he had no vision. But what I think he did have is a sense based on the vision he used to have before Memory. of what particular animals looked like. Certainly. And I also you know, had a concept of things like perspective yep. and shading that these raised line graphics were attempting to do. And occasionally my interpretation of things has been wrong. I had this brochure from Al the Alamo. And I thought, well, clearly the sun is not on this picture, but it's in the upper right hand of where this is because of the shading at the base of the Alamo. Well, it didn't turn out to be that at all. The Alamo was built out of adobe brick. And over the uh, years, the brick slightly melted. So it was thicker at the base of the walls of the Alamo than at the top. And what I was seeing is shading wasn't shading at all. Uh, so I can be, be wrong in that respect. The things that I find interesting about this concept of art and beauty in art, you know, I have an academic understanding of art. Um, in my junior year of high school, I took art history, which was all slideshows. Sure. The whole course was slideshows. Um, so the only way I could understand it is by having a teacher who was good at describing, you know, what is pointillism and what is cubism Ooh. and uh, all of these kinds of things. And, uh, you know, when you think of uh, a painting like uh, uh, Monet's Water Lilies, for example, I have this photograph idea of what water lilies look like on a pond you know blue water green oh, lilies uh, lily pads and and white flowers uh, and that is not at all what monet's water lilies look like he does things in um, different shades than that and he painted that water lily pond in his backyard many 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 times huh. and no two of them are alike and it's all a matter of, of well, that, and, you know, you go to, um, what's his name, Goya, who painted the Tahitian ladies, and it was all about how light reflected off them. Oh. Uh, he was an, uh, an expert at that. And that's all wonderful. It's academic oh. knowledge, and I have enough yep. visual memory to get a bit of an idea. But to tell the difference between art and simply uh, a drawing, they are not perceived by the sighted world as the same thing. Anybody could yep. draw a picture of a cow. But hmm. what's the difference between I an artistic draw a picture, of a cow. picture of a cow? Oh, well, anybody of any note. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, <Brian. laughs> Anyway, so there, there's that. Now, I do think that there are things of beauty and art that I don't appreciate. I'm not a yep. modern art fan mm. if i look at a sculpture i want it to at least 
resemble something without somebody telling having to tell me what it means <laughs> you know it can be uh imprecise or or caricature that kind of thing you know the mask that you were talking about that face was not yes a a replica of somebody's face right yeah I, was, I mean there is that this is a I, I will never quite understand how it was done. I mean, there is no nose on this face, for instance. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's, um, it's, but it's interesting. So I, I had heard that Rick had come back, and I, wondered, I wonder if we can persuade him to get involved and talk to us a little bit about his experience of art as a partial. We're waiting. Maybe not. It was, it was a good idea. I don't see it. So, I've got a, I've got another thing about beauty and tell Rick. Wait, but somebody had, I was muted. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I was muted. Uh-huh. I was talking and thanking you for inviting me back in and that type of thing. Brian, I you know did you ever? I mean, the water lilies. By the way, Monet's water lilies. What, what they were on display at the uh, Boston Museum of Fine Arts for a long, long time. And yes, and, and I went to see them. Yeah. It was just you know rooms of these things were you know they were just all lined up side by side. But I and you know it's interesting because you know as a partial, I would just um, I, I could never you know take in what was really happening. But but there were some really good docents um, at the uh, Museum of Fine Arts that that did some incredibly good descriptions that really kind of blew my mind about things so so that so i you know there was that experience um museum of fine arts in boston often has a lot of a lot of tours that are specifically for people uh who are blind people that are visually impaired but um you know i i you know i go to museums don't do anything for me um uh you know it's um yeah and, and it's it's weird as a as a blind person to go to a museum with, I go with my daughters, you know, uh, from time to time and mm-hmm. they really enjoy stuff, but there is one experience that I really, really like. And that is, um, and Brian, I don't know if you've ever been there. If not, uh, I would highly recommend you go, uh, to the De Cordoba sculpture park up in, yes. I believe it's in Lincoln. Yep. And, it's uh, amazing. It, it, it's absolutely amazing, and uh, I haven't been there in years. My daughter was just there this weekend, and she was telling me that they've redone it quite a bit in terms of how you navigate through it. But, but you know, it, it's literally it's like it's probably two or three acres of land that has sculptures that are just you know interspersed. So it's like a park you can you can stroll through their pathways and stuff. Mm. And, uh, and 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 you can get in there. You can you know I I, I mean you can examine it any way you want tactily whatever uh some of the things some of the art that they have there uh, makes sounds you know some of it is somewhat musical in nature mm-hmm. but it's um you know they, they, that's the type of thing and I, I i i heard you talking about a mask paul i suspect that you know a lot of what you were talking about with the mask was perhaps just the the tactile features on the mask exactly Yep, and 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 in terms of sculpture parks at, on the campus of the college where I worked for twenty years, they kept gradually adding to elements of a, a sculpture park, and they were all stuff done by the same artists, and they were all done in metal. But 
I mean, you could literally, you could literally touch all of the parts of it and, and even climb up on it if you wanted to. Yeah. Brian, you'll remember this, this, uh, you know, experience we had too. Remember when we went on our baseball tour and we were, I think it was in uh, Philadelphia. Um, remember the statues of, uh, various sports figures that we, we passed. Oh yes, absolutely. And, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you reached up and you felt someone's cleats as I remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and I think that was the first time you had ever, you know, had that experience. Right. Mm. Um, right. So recently uh, I was over at the, um, Baptist hospital here got a knee replacement and they have a sculpture outside that are two um, skeletons I'll, I'll call them skeletons though they're stylized but they were two spinal columns mm. placed in such a way as to look like a double helix DNA or R whatever it is the DNA, yeah, yep, the double helix, and it it was really spectacular to touch that. It was designed to be seen um, where the discs were, as opposed to the vertebrae were shiny. The discs were shiny, and the wow. vertebrae were matte by mm-hmm. texture. So mm-hmm. you got a benefit, if you will, of what the visual become tactile in that regard. So that, that was really cool. You know, one of the other things I've seen over the years is some attempts to try to show famous works of art. I'm talking about paintings now, uh, in a tactile form. And the obsession of this particular project was they wanted to let you know what colors were where, not just the outline, uh, you know, a line drawing, but there were, different textures that represented different colors. So if that painting had five colors in it, there'd be five textures representing those five colors. Kind of like a tactile Rubik's cube, if you could remember Mm -hmm. when those were popular Mm -hmm. in the blindness community. Mm -hmm. And it was totally incomprehensible. There was so much tactile information in such a small Mm -hmm. space Mm -hmm. that you couldn't make you, you truly could not make sense out of it. Uh, one of the I've, one of the other interesting things um, uh, that that people are attempting now is the idea of electronic tactile graphics. Um, yes. So that if you if you take an example from Orbit Research, mm. uh, made a device called the Graffiti. And what they chose to do was to have these braille dots appear at different levels from zero to fully extended and use those mm. different levels to, to identify color. Yep. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it was kind of, there's that, and there's <laughs> also this concept, and this has to do with your mask, Paul, of what's yep. called bar relief. Yes. It mm. is not a one-for-one sculpture of a person's face because it's only a short distance of carving into the surface of a, of a flat surface. Yep. So it tactily, it looks distorted. 
uh, and I've, there's a wonderful sculpture here in, in um, down at the Esplanade. You know, when you watch the Boston Pops do their Fourth of July celebration and and all of that stuff, it happens down at the Esplanade. And uh, Fiedler, what was his last? Mm -hmm. Arthur Fiedler, who mm -hmm. used to be the conductor yeah. of the Boston Pops. There's a sculpture there that is a series of slabs of concrete stacked on one another. Oh. And if you touched it, you wouldn't understand what it was. But if you step away from it, the stacks create shadows that fill in the sculpture. And it's absolutely his face, hmm. visually, by the use of shadow. So there's some amazing things there. And yep. when we were talking about site restoration the other day, I said, you know, there are some things that simply can't tactily or auditorily uh, give you everything that vision could give you under those circumstances. Paul, you have one new hand raised. Oh, cool. very good. Cool. Paul Lewis. Hey, hey Paul. Paul. You, you mean a partially sighted guy from Florida. Hey, Paul. How you doing? I like to go by younger Paul on these calls. That's right. See, there you go. <laughs> um, I am. Uh, I would probably be most classified as a uh, high partial, and I feel very fortunate. Uh, thanks to my uh, surgeon, um, I used to take lots of trips to uh, uh, the Met in uh, New York. I used to have uh, relatives that literally lived like uh, three blocks away and uh, I grew up in DC and there are a few museums down there as uh, well including the 17 buildings of the Smithsonian mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I would go, after I had, uh, had my vision loss I would go into um, the museums like the Met where there's a lot of uh, paintings and I'd start walking around and then all the guards were around and then someone would come up, tap me on the shoulder, said, you're a little close. And I would get, uh, sometimes I try to read the information on there, or I would want to get a closer look at the, uh, the painting. And I mm -hmm. would be uh, anywhere from three to six inches away from the painting. And they didn't particularly uh, care for that Loved. too much. Right. Yep. Uh, and so I just find it always in whatever our vision loss is, we all have, we've all been forced to make the adjustments mm -hmm. that we need to. Now, does, uh, does art still mean a good deal to you, Paul? I mean, do you still enjoy looking at paintings? Well, I'm because of, um, with the glasses that I have, mm -hmm. I really can, you know, see the whole thing. Like I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I can go to the movies or I can go to a play. And if they're, I don't have to use audio description. Nice. Uh, if audio description is there, I'll utilize it just because of the advocacy of it for anything else. Mm -hmm. And actually, sometimes I find it useful because if you're, um, I'm a big Marvel Comics uh, guy. And if you're watching one of those um, a movie with a lot of action in it, it's impossible. The action is so fast that even somebody who would be a partial or a high partial can't keep up with all the uh, action. It's like watching a three-ring circus. You can't focus yep. on everything all the mm -hmm. uh, yep. time. So I think 
the audio description is can be useful for anybody, uh, but obviously uh, more valuable for some of us than others. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Yep. You know, I was, think, I was thinking, Paul, yep. do you have, yep. does your uh, high partial mean that you see colors the way other people see colors? Yeah, I still, when I was, um, I went in 2000, this which was my second eye operation. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a nurse come into my room and she wanted me to, she wanted to teach me Braille. And I threw her out of my room uh-huh. because uh-huh. I didn't know what I was going to have when I woke up. And psychologically, if I was going to learn Braille, that meant that I wasn't going to have any vision or at least that that's how I looked at it. Um, I don't, the, my surgeon is actually on the board of the white house in Miami. Paul nice. knows him, Harry Flynn. Sure. Uh, and he specializes with uh, diabetics. He's a, a great guy. And when I woke up, he, he literally saved my vision. It's, Hmm. It was one of those toss-ups that I could have woke up with nothing or, you know, in my case, um, eventually. And it was like over a year before I actually got the glasses that I use now. I went through a series of glasses. So it was uh, a number of uh, uh, challenges in getting to that uh, point. So you see the full color spectrum? Yes. Yeah, I'm able to. Uh, have that is that the i guess with the retinopathy that he was well it, able- it depends there are, there are some eye conditions that affect that probably one of the most common i i'll use the word abnormality is colorblindness and right. i've always wondered when you know because a person who's yeah and there are degrees of it like i know people think blindness means lights out but of course, right. there's degrees of blindness, right? Mm-hmm. There's degrees of color blindness mm-hmm. as well. But in color blindness, if you looked at a painting that contained the colors that you don't perceive, then what? It, it's not just that you wouldn't know what the painting was, you would see it in a different way than the painter saw it. When we were talking about Monet's water lilies earlier, one of the things Monet went through as a painter later in life is he ended up with cataracts. Mm-hmm. And it was distorting what you know what he saw is not what the public saw when they looked at the same thing. Part of the reason for the variance in colors. And he had early cataract surgery. And he was quite upset by it because yeah. Uh, in those days, they took you know if they did cataract surgery at all, they do it to one eye, not to both, mm-hmm. in fears of of causing blindness. Um, but it distorted things, and he was very unhappy for quite some time over the change in his vision as the artist. Uh, so I'd be interested in hearing from anybody out there who has color blindness and how would they perceive art differently than than uh, those with vision. Yeah, yeah, if I could just add wild. this real quick. Um, a lot of times with my, when I am looking at colors, like 
I generally have a lot of trouble with like navy blue and black and which mm-hmm. is like so I buy everything black um, <laughs> and like ranges of colors like in blues like you could have turquoise and you know to me I would probably say that's green and a lot of the more finite finite things more particular different shades of mm-hmm. um, colors like uh, anybody who's um, seen a PMS chart um, mm-hmm. at one point you know it's just amazing there's like uh, I don't know a couple billion different shades of colors on those things yep. Mr. Absolutely. Paul thank you very much sir Jane has her hand raised yep go Jane. ahead Jane I want to talk about art a little bit uh, I grew up in a family with a number of visual artists or fashion designers, photographers, stuff like that. When I was in high school as a totally blind student, I had minimal vision, but I, I never used it. I mean, it, it got in the way for me. I loved pottery. I began to learn that we are, as the scriptures say, fearfully and wonderfully made. I learned that my senses each had information that was unique to them. Uh And I could put that together. Um, I loved working with pottery. I don't remember the term for this, but all of the sculpting that I did during high school, my instructor said was formidable in its emotive power um, when I did my understanding of a mother and child it was the the top half of a female figure she was slightly slanted backward with a very wonderful belly I mean it was full <laughs> And you got it, that that was Mm -hmm. life. Um, Her breasts rested on her belly. Her arms were cradling herself. But her eyes were not particular in her face. Mm -hmm. They were were, uh, deep kind of pools. Mm -hmm. But there weren't eyelashes and eyelids and yada yada. It was just mm-hmm. the hole where the eyeball should be. Mm. And and uh, so you knew that she wasn't looking, or at least that's what people thought when they saw it. And they knew that she was very much alive and alert. So I have always understood when I, be- when I got to college and began to understand what I knew, art concepts don't only apply to visual things. You can have perspective. You can have uh, distance. Um, yep. You can have intention. And each of your senses deals with that differently. And that meant a great deal to me to to know. It was a great comfort and a great encouragement to me that what I knew was valid 
and accountant. Um, Excellent. Ms. Jane, thank you so well, much. That's it. You bet. Thank you much. Appreciate yep. it. So we haven't oh. given Larry a chance to, to yeah, say anything. Yeah. Um, Mr. Hey, Larry. Larry, do you have any thoughts on any of this stuff? There's somebody unmuted, by the way. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who is. that is. But, uh, if you let's see. Um, go ahead. You, you well, yeah, while I'm while you're doing that, I just wanted to give you something to do, Marianne. Um, <laughs> I, it's funny because I I have I appreciate and understand some of the visual things that we were talking about, but I have a hard time because I've always been blind understanding what something is when somebody gives it to me. Uh, I have to really look, and, and sometimes I remember, but it's all based on memorization as to what mm-hmm. a figure looks like or what maybe an animal looks like or something like that. And sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. But it's, for me, it's very, very difficult. Whereas Melinda, my my wife, when she was alive, she had sight for the first 22 years. Mm-hmm. And it was very simple for her to pick up something or somebody maybe handed her something. She said, oh, this is really cool. It's a dog or it's a cat or whatever it is. It, man, it, it's sort of akin to me reading Braille. And I would, have, mm-hmm. she said, he can have the menu done and have dinner done. And I'm still looking on the first page. <laughs> yeah. It's the same basic kind of principle. And mm-hmm. it's not that it I don't appreciate it, but it's very tough. Isn't it? Yes, it is, very it much a, so. A, a form of literacy, tactile literacy, if you will. Um, two, two things I wanted to slip in here. One is uh, more and more I feel the limitation of audio description not audio description in a movie or a play or those kinds of things i get i get quite a bit of entertainment out of those but two-sided people can look at something and see it differently i mean literally see it differently and then you add to that their vocabulary when you say the color is, uh, somebody earlier said uh, teal or aqua or green or blue. What do you mean by that? Uh, oh, that's not just blue, that's navy blue or that's robin's egg blue or, or sky blue whatever these kinds of things. Or so, cerulean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> indigo. You know, some of them, the word isn't blue in it, like, like indigo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Indigo is a it's shade a, of blue. It's a great song, but, too. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you do those kinds of things, and it's the, the other thing that, that people have done is to try to describe to blind people by saying, well, red is hot and blue is cold. They try to turn color into another medium, if you will. Well, and, and I'm and, not sure that that's a, at all effective. It, it, but there, but right. there are Russian, there's a, a Russian woman who is supposedly able to tell colors by their heat. We're at five um, minutes to nine, Paul, just so you're, yep, trying, to, thank you're, you. trying, to, you're trying to draw us into that, right, Paul? Trying to get uh, say something funny with that? No, no. <laughs> No, no. It, it it's actually it's actually no, accurate. No. She she claimed that she claimed that, that that there there were different temperatures for different colors, and I guess that eighty five or ninety percent of the time she was correct. 
Wow. Like, if, if I can just say a couple of things about audio description, sure. it's interesting you bring it up, Ryan. I, I mean, I've got enough vision that, that, you know, when I go to a movie, I, I'll sit in the first row and I, I can see, you know, the movie, good parts of the movie. And I, and I'm listening to audio description. And there are times I get very, very angry at stuff that doesn't get described. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, is, is, uh, and I don't know how to address this, but I, I would love to be able to give audio describers feedback in terms of what they really missed. Okay. Um, to, in, in their description of things. Um, and I, I haven't come up with any brilliant way to do this, but, you know, I, I mean, you know, and it's, it's very, very difficult, but what I find is that people, you know, when they describe something, they're describing it very functionally. Okay. You know, they're talking about what's happening on the screen, right. Describing the, you know, the function of the screen, but the, the action, the action, yep. but what could be happening is extremely nuanced. Okay. And you don't get any of that with the audio description and and i don't care what anybody says audio describers edit what we you know what description well, we no they question. most certainly no do they they, mm-hmm. they absolutely do and and like i said i you know i i walk out of these things sometimes really really angry okay it's so, gene can i jump in with one sentence sure yes have, have every audio describer have to be under sleep shade for a whole movie and it will really affect what they want to know. That's it. Yep. Well, and, and again, there are lots of activities going on right now to try to um, educate describers. You know, audio description is the writer and that's who you're dealing with, Rick, right? The writer who wrote the description that the, voicer is right. going to read at the right. appropriate time right and the mixer is going to make sure that the audio levels are such that right. the description right. doesn't interfere with the enjoyment of the main soundtrack and you know right. all those kinds of things so the describer themselves the the writing of this have a number of things that they have to deal with of course right you know you can't say you know he's wearing a blue shirt with uh, white cuffs and a green tie under a whatever. He's only got four seconds to to speak in, in the gap in the dialogue. Right. So right. we know that they have to, they can't say everything. They have to say what appears to the writer as necessary for the blind audience to follow what's going on. Right. And there's no doubt there's right. no doubt there's decisions made. One of my favorite examples of this whole visual nuance is in Titanic. You know, in the movie Titanic, there's a number of times they go from the ship uh, you know, in the day and the ship on the bottom of the ocean. And while you're looking as a sighted audience member at the actor and actress on the bow of the ship, what you don't know is that the um, opposite of a bow, the stern of the ship, that decay is already happening. Rusting is already happening. So that transition from the ship on the ocean to the ship on the seabed is almost magical in the videography required to pull that off. 
intentionally done. And there's a wonderful art form there that we will never be able to get in audio description. Ladies and gentlemen, we are almost out of time. Next week, we'll actually consider some aspects of audio description. We'll see if we may end up having some guests. But in the meantime, thanks very much for being here and good night.